Connor, what's going on, bro? What's up, Jack? Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, man. I've heard great things. So it's my pleasure. Likewise. It's long overdue. I've been seeing you on Twitter for a while, and I know you're in the ghostwriting game, and we're, we got a lot of mutual connections. But the interesting thing about having this podcast now is like, usually when I want to get to know somebody, most people will hop on a call, but I'm like, let's just hop on a podcast. Like, let's just do it live publicly. Two birds, one stone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, let's like jump right into it, dude. So I was reading through your backstory a little bit and you had a thread about like going from part-time English teacher, making 19 bucks an hour to now a full-time internet entrepreneur, writer, ghostwriter. So tell me that story. How did this all happen? Sure. I'm trying to think of exactly where it started. Like long story short, like start of COVID, I knew I wanted to make money online. It became like abundantly clear, like, okay, I have to make money online because I want to go travel in Europe and I want to go to Germany, be able to speak German. So I was like, all right, how do I make money online? And I had once met this guy, Dell in England, this British guy. And like every once in a while, we had this like group of friends and he'd leave and be like, dude, where are you always going? He's like, oh, I got to teach my Chinese students what do you mean you're Chinese students? Like, yeah, dude, you can teach Chinese kids online. And I'm like, are you for real? And I just Googled that day, teach Chinese kids online, no degree. Cause I hadn't graduated yet and uh, got a job like immediately. This was like during the golden era before CCP cracked down on it. Now Americans are not allowed to teach Chinese kids anymore, but <laughs> um, which is total shame. Cause it was, it was a great part-time job, but you know, I, so I got that started teaching Chinese kids online, started thinking about, okay, how am I going to do this thing? And then I won this Fulbright scholarship from the U S state department, but then COVID pushed it away, pushed it away, pushed it away. So now I'm like, all right, I'm trading my time for money. It's like, fuck it. I'm going to Croatia. You know? So it was like, I knew Croatia is like Eastern Europe. So it was like, I could probably afford to go there. Got an apartment in the heart of heart of Croatia. Then I went on this long travel. We don't need to break into all that. But like the really big thing that happened to me in Croatia was I found a Val Ravikant. And I was just like, okay, yeah, this is cool. Like, that's what I want to do. So I didn't really take that much action right away. But for like five, six months, bro, I just started reading like every book Naval recommended. All right, not every, but like literally over a hundred books that Naval recommended. Just read and listened to Naval for like, I don't know how long, but, and then until it was like really stuck in, it was just, his ideas just blew my brains out. And it was just like, okay, yeah, like I really see this and I really believe this now. And I think that was the big first step was being like, shit, okay, I believe I can do this, do this in a cool way, have it be fun, learn cool stuff with cool people. And that was the big catalyst for all this. How did you find Naval originally? Akira the Dawn. I don't know if you know him. No, I don't. So one time... At the same time, I was teaching the Chinese kids English. I got a little bit into like Jordan Peterson, you know, self-help stuff, stoicism. This was like my first little foray into fixing myself a bit. You know, I'm still working on it. But <laughs> um, and then Akira the Don, I just was like Googling Jordan Peterson on YouTube, wanted to watch one of his lectures or something. And then it said Jordan Peterson lo-fi. I was like, oh shit, that's cool. So I, I listened to some Jordan Peterson lo-fi from this guy, Akira the Don. So my Spotify, I guess, knew that I liked this stuff. And then it was like a song with Naval and beats. And that was the first thing. And like the first line of when Akira chopped up Naval was everyone vaguely knows they want to be wealthy, but they don't have a set of, but they don't have a good set of principles to do it by. And I was just like, 
free. I was like, wait, do I want to be wealthy? Because the whole time I was like, yeah, I don't care about money. You know, I was at university. It's very like environment where it's cool to not care about money. And that was like, what, that was my vibe until I was like, wait a second. Fuck. Yeah. I want it. Like, I want to try this thing. Like it's cool. And then, yeah, that was pretty much it. That was the start. That's super interesting how Jordan Peterson kind of led into Naval for you. Cause it was kind of the same thing for me. I started really? to get really into Jordan Peterson self-help too around, I'd say probably like a year and a half ago. And mm-hmm. I found him through Joe Rogan. And then sure. I found Naval also through Joe Rogan. I remember watching that episode came up in my recommended and I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I just stumbled across a gold mine. Like how have I never heard of this guy before? And Similar to you, I got the almanac of Naval. In the back of there, he has like all those book recommendations. I probably read like, I haven't probably read a hundred of them like you, but I did read a decent amount. But yeah, 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 man. Like once you understand those principles and actually digest them, you're like, wait, why can't I do this? And he talks about, he's like, everybody has the potential to become wealthy, right? If you are listening to this podcast, you can create the mediums that access wealth. And wealth may not look like $150,000 salary. Wealth may look like, oh, I have control over my time. I'm able to make money online, live where I want. And so I guess that probably stood out to you a lot of like the location freedom and using the internet. So I got to ask like, why, why did you have this inclination for Germany in the first place? Yeah. I appreciate you asking that, but just one last thing about what you just said, gold mine. I think that's the perfect word to describe how I felt when I found Naval Ravikant. It's just like, oh my God, like, where was this? And it's just what that led to was nuts. So if anyone is listening to this and they have not yet dove into Naval stuff, like just please, like, that's the way, like there's really two best business resources, in my opinion. If I could only, like one of my students, I, I still teach part-time in Germany, actually 12 hours a week at like a local high school. It's pretty fun. And one of my students the other day asked me, like, how do I get started in online business? And he was like, really, really wants, I can really tell. So I sent him an email with Naval. I was like, this is the high level ideas. Like you need to understand these. And then Alex Hermosi, acquisition.com offers course. Like that, like, <laughs> like yeah. that's the, ta- the high level, the tactical, in my opinion, like everything else is like the Twitter feed is not the best place, you know, cause it's a lot, a lot of it's regurgitated, but no. And I'll add one person to those two. I think those two are like the big players that like, they're going to give you all the secrets and principles to, to pursue entrepreneurship and online business. But I think if you're really interested in getting in like the creator game and the creator economy, Dan Co is like the guy I look to is like, this guy has figured it all out. Right. And if mm. you kind of like reverse engineer his principles and then couple it with Naval and Hormozzi's philosophies, which I feel like he's probably done too. Like you, you could be successful in a year or less. Appreciate that. Yeah. I got to go more down the Danco rabbit hole. I know a lot of people love him. Like from what I've read, I've read a few letters from him. They're great. Just, yeah. It's like, it's a lot of it's timing too when you get the message, you know? Yes. Um, yes. But anyway, yes. you want to go down that Germany rabbit hole? Yeah, I'd love to. Let's yeah, dude. So I always wanted to learn German my whole fucking life. Like I felt so German in America because my dad, like our last name is Pitmaya, which is obviously a German name. My dad, he never spoke German. No one in my family spoke German, but he was very proud to be German. It was just this funny thing, funny dynamic in our house. And um, so I felt super attached to Germany, but you know, I literally didn't know anyone who spoke German. I had almost failed my high school Italian class. So I thought I'm just bad at learning languages. We'll get back to that in a second though. Um, 
And then one day my, my mom sent me on this outward bound course, which was like this wilderness training course in Utah and Colorado for like three weeks after my freshman year of college, super dope, man, outward bound really recommend. And, uh, the first day I saw this beautiful girl in the hotel lobby and I was like, I think she's with our group. So I went out to talk to her and she was like reading a book. I was like, Oh, what book? And I was like, wait, what language is that? She's like, it's German. And she had a full American accent. So I was like, how do you learn German? She's like, I don't know. I learned German as a kid. I'm like, what? Because I literally didn't know any other American who had done it. And then I was just like, fuck it. Like after this trip, I'm doing it. And like for those three weeks, you know, she taught me a few German lullabies and like the basics, like ich bin, I am like this type of stuff. And then dude, I just sent it. Like I basically, like at that point, I was still trying to become an investment banker, management consultant type, one of those things. I'm from outside of New York city. Where are you from, by the way? I'm from Chicago and I was headed down the exact same path. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like the, that's the high status well-paying. Like, like you yes. see why, you see why it's attractive, but like it just, it didn't fit my personality. I, I'm sure it didn't really fit yours either. Right. We're, we're a bit more creative. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what those people are like, but it just wasn't for me. And I was like, it took a ton of courage for me to sort of say like, all right, fucking doing the Germany thing. And one really lucky thing that happened to me was winning that Fulbright scholarship after college, because I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I hadn't really heard of it, but it's like one of the most prestigious scholarships in the world. It's like the U S government founded it after world war II to, you know, sort of rebuild uh, networks with other countries, so to say. And um, so then I could like, it's embarrassing to say now, but then I could like still be like, yeah, well, I'm doing Fulbright. Like, as opposed to like doing the banking route, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And so I'm super grateful for that. So that's, that's actually been how I've lived here the last two years is because I get like a stipend from the government to be at the school. Oh, very cool. And I'm actually German myself, a tad Let's bit. Go. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have some type of relation there, but are you like hundred percent German or do you have some other stuff mixed in? Uh, half, half, half Irish German. Okay, cool. Yeah. I've yeah. always been, I'm like 15 different things, dude. So I've always sure. been a bit envious of the people who have like such a strong tie to a country or a nationality, because for you, it was like, yeah, I feel proud to be German. I'm going to go live there. Right. I'm kind of like a little bit Italian, German, Swedish, Russian, everything else in between. So I don't have that strong tie, but yeah, I mean, let's dive a little bit into the learning the language piece because I'm, yeah. I'm in Argentina right now for context. And my Spanish is probably at like a preschool level. Like it's not good at shit, all. Man. And I, I have this belief. Thanks, bro. <laughs> I have this belief that um, like I'm not good at learning languages. And so Fuck it's that. interesting to hear that you say the same thing. But now you're fluent in German and Mandarin, right? If I research correctly. Sure. Not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, fuck that. I hate that false belief. It, it probably came from school, right? How, how was your language class in school? Yeah, so we had to start picking a language back in sixth grade, and we would take a language. We could either do Spanish, German, or French, and I chose Spanish because, I don't know, it seemed the easiest. Everybody else was doing it, but the problem is I didn't really take it very seriously, and it's been like on and off for the last 10 years, so yeah, tell me like how you immersed yourself in it and like shed that belief. Yeah. So if you want, like after this, like another day, I'm very happy to sit down with you for like a half hour, 45 minutes. And I'll lay you down exactly what you need to do. Like, I'll give you like a daily checklist. And like, I'm like, I'll be like, Jack, if you follow this for three months, you'll be fluent. I guarantee you 
I guarantee you. That's the first thing. We, we do that on another day. But like, no matter what you think about your language skills, because I know you're an intelligent person, right? Based on your writing, based on everything you're doing. So that's not, that's not even a question whether or not you can learn Spanish. Are we on the same page with that? Yeah. Like definitely, 100%. you definitely believe that you can learn Spanish? I do believe I can, but it's a question of if I really want to. And the that's reason yeah, that's I'm fair. saying that right now is like, okay, I've been doing this full-time entrepreneurship stuff for about a month now. And I want to make sure like I take this seriously. This is the priority. And down the line, like maybe once I have more of my financial needs met and everything, like I would want to invest more time in learning a language. But right now it's like, I want to invest as much in my own growth as an entrepreneur as possible, but also like that might just be a limiting belief. So I, I don't know. That's fair. That's, that's, that's a different discussion. I think there's, there's two sides to that, right? Like when I started the ghostwriting, I was, I dropped learning Chinese and I went like hard for like nine months, like no languages. Part of me thinks maybe that was smart, right? Cause I'd read this book, essentialism. I don't know if you've seen that diagram of like, <laughs> yes, I just read it like last week. And so that's why it's so fresh in my head. Yeah. I also think like, I mean, like, what are you going to write? Are you going to like be a ghostwriter for like nine hours a day? Probably not. Right. Like I think there's space for other things in life. Like it's, I took, I think I took that book a little too seriously, but I do agree. There, there is a point to it. There is definitely like do less, but better hundred percent. Like that's, that's mm -hmm. the case. All right. But should I just give like a basic overview of how to learn languages? Is that like, would that be helpful or? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear that. And maybe like your mindset in terms of shattering your limiting belief. Yeah. So the mindset was just doing it, you know? And like, I've, I've wasted a lot of, not wasted a lot of time, but I made a lot of mistakes with learning German. Like I learned Chinese faster than I learned German. My German's still better than my Chinese, but like I can, I can make friends in Chinese, you know, it's like, it's easy. Wow. And it's like, it took way less time than German, which is in the same language family as English. Everyone would assume German is easier than Chinese. Right. But because I had learned the skill set, it was much easier. Um, so like, the big thing, dude, and the reason Americans especially suck at learning languages is comprehensible input, right? This is not from me. This is from Stephen Krashen or Kraken. I can't remember always how to say his name. He's a neuroscientist from America. Did a lot of research on this. And like literally the number one thing is comprehensible input. Are you listening? Are you consuming the language, right? And that's why if you go to Europe, people speak English, right? Germans speak English. Swedes speak English. Why? Because dude, from a young age, they're watching American movies, listening to American music. They have it in school, right? And what you're doing in school is way more effective if you have that input, right? It all starts with the input. So that's, that's like the number one thing is realizing like, okay, the reason school's language sucked is because we didn't start with input. We started with grammar, right? Grammar is the worst place to start. The best place to start is input. And then be like, Hey, I think I'm noticing a pattern in there. And then just like literally Google, like, what does this thing do in Spanish? Right. And then it's just like, you just Google it and you're like, Oh, okay. Yep. And it's so much more impactful when you've actually had that input. Like your brain is like a sponge. And if it doesn't get any Spanish water, it will never be able to fill up. Does that make sense? Like the big idea is comprehensible input. 100%. And that was something I noticed when I backpacked through Europe this summer is everybody spoke English. And I would always ask them how they're like, yeah, I've been listening to English music for my whole life. I've watched movies my whole life. But since we're from America, it's like, yeah, obviously, we're listening to it in, in English. I'm not going to go and like, read a book in Spanish or like listen to, okay, maybe like a song like Despacito or something. But that's probably like the extent of my inputs in another language. So yeah, it makes complete sense. 
But you see, that's what I did with German. Like I only watch stuff in German. I only read German books. I only listen to podcasts. And like, it takes, like, it's annoying, right? Because all the best content's in English to begin with, right? But it's like, if, if you like really want it, right? No one has to do this. But if you're like, I really want to learn this one language for this specific reason, then it's input. That's, that's the solution. And at first it sucks, right? Because you got to listen to like kindergarten stuff. But that's literally the solution. Interesting. And I, I think that's coming up in my head because we talked about Naval is yeah. he talks about like it's more important to know and be able to convey using sing- simple English to convey an idea than learn a bunch of different languages. So like what would your thought process be around that argument? Like, well, Naval, I, have, I, remember, I know exactly what quote you're talking about. I think what he's saying there is like, if you're trying to build wealth, right? That's right. a very important right. caveat. Like not everyone's trying to build wealth. We are. Um, and like, there are other things to life, right? Like it's just fucking fun to go speak to Chinese people in Chinese. Like, mm-hmm. it's awesome. I, I get a rush. Like it's, it's yeah, like super fun. And I like, I really hated the feeling like this is, I felt super insecure being around Europeans as monolingual. I felt like I was dumb. Obviously it's a false belief, but it's just like, all right, let's just solve it. Like, let's just get bilingual. Like, <laughs> I don't want to feel that way ever again in my life. So I was like, yeah, that was, that was part of it. Dude, you're inspiring me to maybe start to change my beliefs around this because I've been in that really single, single-minded belief of like, okay, like what's the most important thing right now? It's building wealth, kind of like we said. But every time I go to a cafe here or every time I order at a restaurant, I feel dumb because I can't convey what I'm actually thinking. And I've, I've been going to the same couple cafes in my neighborhood for the past month or so since I've been here. And I've become like sort of friends with the baristas and people that work there, but I can't deepen any relationship because I can't say anything more than like, how are you? Or like, I'm doing good. How are you? And that's right. It is, it does make you feel a bit dumb. So dude, yeah, you're already shattering my beliefs around this stuff. I, I love to hear that, man. Like, and it's like, most people, they overestimate how much of the language you need to know. If you learn the 2000 most common Spanish words, if you listen to 30 minutes of podcasts a day, if you buy a tutor for like $10 an hour for like two to three hours a week, give me three months, you'll be fluent. I swear to God. Wow. I guess something that my fluent is like, like, you don't need to know how to talk about rockets. You know, you need to talk about like, Hey, how you doing? Like, what's up? Oh, that's really cool. You're from here. All right. I'm not, you know, like, then it's like, it's, it's 80, 20 absolute language is the most 80, 20 thing out there. Right. Yeah. And can you break down 80, 20? Like, what is that for people that don't know what that is? Yeah. Just, I I think I learned this first from actually from university. This is like, (laughs) wow. How about that? (laughs) Uh, Like, you know, when, when quite often, like I'll, I'll talk it in this way. I think perfectionism like stops a lot of people. And, and what, what happened to me many times is like, Oh, like that's going to be so hard, you know, to learn German. I'm gonna have to learn like there's 48,000 words in the German language, but like, it's actually like, okay, if you know, 2000 German words, you're chilling, you know? So it's like the, the 20% of the language that is used in 80% of conversations is the most important. If you master that 20%, this is, I'm sure, you know, Jack, but if like, this is very, very true for a lot of things, right. In sales, you don't need to be the best salesman in the world. You need to understand, okay, people, whatever, like human nature, like stuff. If you get that 20%, like you're chilling for a lot of things, not, of course, there are some times where details are important, but was that a good explanation or would you describe it better or, or another way? 
No, I think it is. A, I think it's a good explanation. I would reframe it in like a fitness context for people out mm. there to understand it. Like, yeah, you can focus on like supplementation and doing all these little things like eating the exact amount of protein at the right yeah. time for like maximum <laughs> gains. But that's like the little 20% that's going to get you to, to the next level. The 80% mm. is like sleep good, exercise, walk, like get sunlight. Like those things are the 80%. And that's really what makes up the bulk of it. But relating it back to language, I think you said something of like, I have this belief that it's going to be so hard and it feels so uncomfortable, but I guess that is just a false belief. Um, and I know I was reading about this the other day. I don't know where, but it basically was talking about like, we understand reality through our language. Right. And so we can only understand reality to the point that our words or the vocabulary we know allows us to. So for you, like learning these two other language, has your perception of reality become more well-rounded by knowing new vocabulary and new languages? If anything, it's made me have more empathy. No, no, that's like the bad way. That's a bad way for me. It's made me think, it's made me realize how similar we are actually, right? You'd expect Chinese to be like crazy different than English, bro. It's almost the same. Like, there's not that many words in Chinese that we don't like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just like the sentence structure of Chinese and like what you can do with Chinese, you can do with English is almost the same, right? That's not exactly true for every language like Arabic and I think Korean, like they have like different sentence structures, right? Like Chinese is still subject, verb, object. I go to China. Right? I go to China, right? But like, what you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> my brain's not in the mood right now. I actually had class right before this with, with my teacher, Coral, on, on italki, dude, $9 for 45 minutes. She's an excellent teacher, like better than a high school teacher. I'm just going to open my door real quick. I'm getting like super hot. Do you mind? No, go for it. Right. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Um, where were we on that? I got a little distracted because I was hot. No, no worries. I think this would be probably a great point to transition more into like the money Twitter stuff and the wealth Let's do it, man. stuff. So Let's yeah, tell me, so you start to find Naval, you start to understand the principles of building wealth. So what led you to, from that moment to start writing online? To start writing online. When did I start writing? Oh, okay. So this was pretty cool. I was actually, I went to Southern California, Manhattan beach, which is like part of LA. And I was living in my friend Derek's couch and teaching the Chinese kids, reading, whatever, walking and waiting for my Fulbright year to start because it had gotten pushed because of COVID. And he, I noticed like he was always talking to people over LinkedIn, like alumni from his school. Like, like, and I was like, dude, where are you meeting these mentors? And he's like, oh, I just cold DM them. Right. And I get on, I'm like, oh shit, really? So he's just like cold DMing all these smart successful people and they're just giving him his time. So then there is this really uh, new but important scholarship in China called Schwartzman Scholar from Steve Schwartzman. Um, and I was like, I want that. You know, it's, you know the Rhodes Scholar in, in Britain? I don't know. No worries. It's like the most exclusive scholarship to go to England, basically. And like okay. it's, it attracts people from all over the world. And it's China's answer to that is basically Schwartzman scholarship. And it's only like seven something years old. And if you go on their websites, like all these American politicians, all these like global leaders, and it's like 
oh shit. So I was like, fuck, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll get early. So I just started cold DMing um, like the admin officers. I didn't end up not getting the scholarship, but I did get these five reflection questions from one of them. This guy, Fernando, I think his name was, or Francisco. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember coming away from that reflection section and being like, okay, I need to write better. Like for what I want to do in my life. I think, like I said, like, I want to have an impact or something. Like I want to like help other people reach their potential. I was like, well, I understand leverage now. It's like, okay, so I need to be able to write well. And it's like, how do I write? Well, it's like shots on goal. So like, okay, I'm starting a weekly blog now. Right. And I just like did it. And I did the weekly blog for a long time before doing Twitter. I still way prefer to write newsletters over Twitter, but uh, you know, obviously Twitter has the distribution benefit. How about you, man? How, how did you get started writing? Very similar to you, actually. Um, really? I feel like we're two of the only people that I know in this money Twitter space that started off with the newsletter or blog. And mm. so how it happened for me, and I've told this story a couple of times, but um, I was on a train in Europe backpacking from Madrid to Paris, like by myself. And I was just journaling a ton. I'd been journaling the whole trip and realizing like, wow, I actually really like writing in depth. And I was listening to this book called Lynchpin. And it basically was talking about like, the only reason you're not sharing your ideas with the world is because you're scared of people judging you. And I was like, fuck, like I got to start sharing my ideas. So I start sending this weekly newsletter just to like help people like with self-help stuff, stuff I was learning to like a couple family members and friends. And from there, I started sending it for like a month, um, really no ideas of like where it would go or anything. And I found Dakota Robertson on Instagram. Sure. And I saw he was writing on Twitter. And then one of my friends was like, dude, you know, this Dakota Robertson guy, like you should write on Twitter like him. Like you have very similar thoughts. I was like, shit, you're right. But I was scared as hell. Um, mm. And then from there, you know, you just overcome that little bit of anxiety. And then one thing leads to another. But yeah, I went newsletter to Twitter as well. And I, I'm curious if you think that was a competitive advantage for you, because for me, it feels like since I started with the long form newsletter, that is so much more difficult, I think, than writing a, a short tweet in a lot of ways that moving over to Twitter seemed easy by comparison. But I think for starting on Twitter and then having to bridge it into like a thousand word newsletter, like that could be a bit tough. It's an interesting question. I'm not sure if I have the answer. I will just say to this day, I have a hard time writing threads. I do not like the format. I find it like constricting. So I was, mm -hmm. a, for a time I was doing LinkedIn. I really, I'm honestly, I'm honestly thinking about like almost never writing threads again and just writing like long tweets, like not, not thinking about like thread formatting. I just don't like it. I don't like how that feels. Makes so. complete sense. Yeah. It, it is a bit constraining. Um, and that's what I like about the newsletter. It's free flowing. You can kind of just see where it takes you, but for your newsletter, like what is the, what is the summary of it? Like, what is the, what is the gist? Yeah, that's been a problem. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's a problem, but like, that's also like been the, the benefit of it. Right. I don't really, and it was, I did try to monetize it for like a little bit, but like, it's always, it's more just been, um, like long-term, I definitely want it to be sort of like the backbone of what I'm doing, you know, like, yeah, like I really want to start driving more traffic to it, it, being more intentional about it, you know, doing cross promotions, whatever. But, uh, if I had to say like my biggest interests, they're kind of similar to yours, right? Like making money online in like a cool way that, you know, you can do for like 60 years, not like a cash grab type way. Um, persuasion, I find fascinating, like sales. 
all this stuff. And also a lot of the same things that work for sales are like the same principles for dating. So just persuasion in general, I find really interesting. And then, um, yeah, kind of like philosophy. So like make maybe persuasion, philosophy, and online business would be, but sometimes yeah, I just write about like the things I'm interested in. So that, that is, you know what I mean? There's like, there's pros and cons. If you leave it free flowing, I think that's much easier if you have like a larger uh, presence, you know, but so we'll see how it develops right now. It's not my number one focus. I yeah. I've I had the same. Yeah. I've had the same kind of experience with it. Like I try to frame it as like, okay, like this newsletter is about fitness, online business, creator economy, but then it kind of changes. And I write like more of a philosophical take on happiness or like the next week I'll write like some 10 neuroscience habits that'll like 10 extra productivity. And it's, it's tough to like pigeonhole it down, but I think that is kind of an advantage because then it lets you, lets your create creativity just flow. And I think as long as you're not like really trying to monetize the newsletter yet, like it's such a long-term play that right. hopefully in 10 years, like you can be writing about whatever the hell you want. And that'll be the backbone of your content, like you said. So I, I like that approach. Yeah. We're, I think we're similar on that. I like that. 100%. And okay, you, I got to ask this. So you said persuasion in sales is like dating in a lot of ways. Like break that down right. for me. How so? Yeah. So I'm not like a huge tactics guy. So I'm not really going to go into tactics, but like, like a high level principle that I've learned from, you know, making mistakes with women or sales in general would be the person who needs the sale most loses it, right? Never need the sale essentially. And I think that's a principle which fits both categories quite well. Have, have you seen that dynamic in your life too? Definitely. And I just recently <laughs> read a book by Mark Manson called Models. And it was talking a ton about like vulnerability and non-neediness. And the guy who yeah. comes across as super needy is never going to get the girl. Same thing with never. sales, right? Like if you're, if you're like doing outreach and you're super needy, yeah, you're not going to close any deals. But if you come from a, a position of high value and like, I don't need you, but like, I could help you if you want me. Like, it's the same thing. Absolutely. Um, I haven't been very active in the dating scene lately though. Good. And it's similar to the, my philosophy on like not learning another language. I've just been so locked in on this like online business stuff that yeah. the other parts of my life have taken a bit of a backseat, but yeah. So There's that, a place, that's time and place. I, I think I, I, I think I can imagine like what your, what your philosophy on that is. If, if you don't mind me guessing. Yeah, no, let me hear it. I'm curious. You're, you're probably thinking like, you know, like, Get, just develop myself, nail my bases, be high value, do it later. Is that like your thought on it? Totally to a T yeah. pretty yeah, much. I think that's solid. Like, I think there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I like, I'm not huge on like, uh, you know, like American dating life, I think is pretty whack, you know, like how, how we are like, yeah, right now, like Tinder. I don't think that's like a good social development or, or how things go at college. <laughs> right. And something else that I've been like in a conflict with is finding people like very similar interests to me because now, yeah. like, and I'm sure you've experienced this. We talked about this a little bit before the pod, like doing this online stuff, it can be a bit lonely because how many people do you know in your real life that are doing the same stuff? And how many girls are you going to meet in real life that are on the same wavelength with a lot of these things? And it's pretty limited. I think the cool thing about money Twitter is like, guys like us are able to connect across the world or like you're able to meet 
like you met up with a bunch of money Twitter guys in uh, you guys met up in the UK or was it in Barcelona? Barcelona. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Like the internet allows for us to meet people with our similar interests. And I think dating could follow a similar structure, but right now it's very super, it's like very superficial surface level constrained to geography, kind of like Tinder in these dating apps. But Mm. if it was maybe presented in Mm. a more deep way of like deep interests, like kind of how we all became connected on money Twitter, I think that could be really cool. That could be really cool. I like that idea. Yeah. And so you have a girlfriend right now, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. Was this the girl you met um, who was reading in German or somebody else? Uh, no, that, that girl's much older. She's probably like 30 now. Um, th- I met Jean, who's my girlfriend now, when I was like 19. I was sitting on a patio in Germany, just like talking to my American friend, Adrian. And she just came up and said, hey, what's up? <laughs> wow. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was then it was really cool. Yeah. It was just, and then we knew each other for like, I was only in Munich for like a month, went back to New York. And then last year, um, just texted her like, Hey, where are you? <laughs> and we were like, Oh shit. We live like an hour away from each other. Just, yeah. But actually she's in the money Twitter space now, bro. She's, she just closed her first four call pack. <laughs> what? No, what, what is she doing in the money Twitter space? Um, relationship coaching. Oh, interesting. So not like couples therapy, but just like speaking to young men, like kind of like you, like, like young men who are sort of like aware that like, okay, like what I'm trying, like playing that game, like I'm trying to become really high value and like understand what I want, become aware about what I have to offer, what I'm looking for. And uh, she's also a psychologist by training. So it's like, it kind of fits. And uh, I'm so happy for her, man. Like she's hyped, like she's, she's loving it. It's exactly what she wanted to do. And it's like, that is an example, but it's, I think the, the, where we're at right now and the, the struggle is, it's like still, like if, if she wasn't dating me, that probably wouldn't happen, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. in this thing and it's the person I introduced her is from our group chat. Um, like I just knew there was a fit there. So it's like, there's still some like big inefficiencies there, but I see the potential of like this whole thing, like in, a, in like 10, 15 years is, is just incredible. Like I'm really, I feel really optimistic about this path we're all on. It's, it's really fun. I agree, dude. I am wildly optimistic about the direction this is all going. And the thing about the personal brands is like, this is going to live with us for as long as we live. Right. And so we're so early. How old are you? Like early twenties? Yeah, I'm 23. I guess mid twenties now. Nah, I think you feel pretty early, but think (laughs) about it this way, bro. Like in 10 years, you're still going to be at like the start of your career. Right. And like, it's just so amazing to me that we'll be able to have these personal brands and be able to pivot and do whatever we want for the rest of our lives under the guise of our personal brands. And I think we're pretty early into this game. And I think yeah. like a lot of people will be coming in as well. Yeah. I don't think I appreciated that recently. Like I, I like obviously I like knew that, but you know, sometimes there's like this difference between knowing and, and like understanding. Have you ever felt that way? Yes. And something that I've been struggling with myself recently is now that I'm doing this full time, mm-hmm. I get caught up in this unhealthy comparison to the people that are like way ahead of me. Right. But Fair. then I step back and realize like, oh shit, I'm 21 years old. Like I'm just figuring all this out as we go. And once you kind of step back and you gain that awareness of, you know, like it's a long journey, you can't expect to know this stuff overnight. I, I think that helps me put things in perspective and not have to rush so much. Yeah. It's not a rush. 
I ha- I struggle with that too. And like, once you kind of get out of scarcity money wise, it becomes a lot easier to uh, like relax. <laughs> you know, like when I, I talk to a lot of, a lot of guys who are trying to take this path and I can usually tell when someone's like having a hard time with money because they're just talking like really fast and you can tell like they got blinders on and like it's, it's affecting their ability to think clearly and rationally. And I've been there, right. I'm not criticizing anyone. I've been there recently too. So it happens, but like, yeah, it it comes back to never needing to sail again. Right. Because if you put yourself in a way to where you need to, where you need to need the sale, then it gets hard to get the sale. Right. And like, I have never been like that disciplined with spending. Like I didn't like grow up super rich or something, but like, I never been like, oh, okay. Like I'm not gonna buy this pizza or something. And that did kind of come bite me in the butt at some points because yeah, you know, you have with this, this, this path is not secure, right? It's not a salary. It's, it can be, it can be feast or famine sometimes. So yeah, just like a personal thing I'm, I'm really realizing is the like discipline equals freedom, but in terms of finances too. And that was just something that I recently realized, which obviously I've like knew that, right? Like, you spend less than you earn, but it was like lessons learned the hard way. It's tend to stick. I don't know. That was yeah. kind of a tangent, but that's, that was like something really recent that rocked my world. <laughs> yeah. I think the scarcity mindset, it, 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 there, I think it's a double-edged sword because there's been points where I've been really low in funds. And because I had so little money, I had to go figure out a way to make money. And I think that sure. is kind of like what led me down this entrepreneurship path and like not being able to do this full time, which is still kind of crazy to me. But if I never put myself in those periods of like really needing to find a way to make money, I might have not taken as much action. Um, but for you, like for the ghostwriting, so I know you're, you're, pivoting more so into ghostwriting coaching now. So like, what is the, what's the philosophy around that? Is it more leverage? Is it more lucrative? Like why make this, why why make the pivot? It's a great question. So it's not only ghostwriting coaching. Three of my clients are for ghostwriting coaching. The other two are kind of like Twitter oriented, Twitter business slash writing slash branding. I don't know exactly how to position it just yet, but um, okay. So why? Dude, it's about following the energy. I have way more fun coaching than I do ghostwriting. And also, if I think about what are my natural skill sets, obviously right now, you know, it's just like, it's more fun, dude. (laughs) And yes, it is higher leverage. Like I didn't, I didn't like think about it that um, deeply when I made the decision. But if you think about it, right, you ghostwrite as one person. Let's say you can have three clients a month before you're like too much work, maybe four. And then- or you can teach people and they can all go have three. You're literally like creating more value. But if you like, go oh, teach three people who can all have three clients, that's nine people getting ghostwriters because of what you did, right? And you can charge a piece of that. So it is more, it is higher leverage for sure. But that wasn't like, the, that wasn't the framework I thought about. I just thought about like, all right, I'm not loving the ghostwriting, right? And I, I want to teach, dude. Like I, I like really, really thought about it. Like there are really only three, if I could, spend my time besides writing, it would be teaching, coaching, and selling, right? Those are the three things that I find just the most fun. So yeah, that, that was basically how I thought about it. I love the notion of follow the energy. And I'm assuming you're probably a pretty big Scott Adams fan. I'm, I'm going to guess. Oh, love Scott Adams. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I was reading his book, um, how to fail at everything and still win big. And I love, that was the one takeaway I really had from the book is follow your energy, notice what energizes you and go towards that. Like, don't worry as much about the money. And something I'm noticing for myself is kind of the complete inverse of you. So I have a hour long coaching call in my bio. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to plug it or anything on this podcast, but I have this in my bio for people that want any insight into like Twitter, into ghostwriting, how to grow an audience, whatever. And I notice every time somebody books it, even though I make a hundred dollars, I feel drained. I'm like, oh, I have to do this call. And so that's kind of making me think maybe I should pivot out of that and maybe make things that can earn while I sleep, like products or courses, because the one-on-one coaching, at least when it relates to Twitter is something that drains me. However, if I hop on a call with somebody and I'm giving more like life advice or like helping them achieve their goals, like in life or fitness, I feel energized as hell by that. So how do you, I guess something I'm struggling with though, is like, how do you monitor that energy? Is it, is it a feeling in your body? Flow. Is it flow? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Like some things give you flow. Other things you feel like it's sucking your soul as you do it. Go more into what flow means for you. Like on a, on a sales call, bro, I just get in flow. I love it, right? Like I'm like, all right, I'm trying to understand this person. I'm trying to build rapport with them. And I'm not even thinking these things. I just go, man. I just love it. Like I feel like, I feel like I don't even know. Like I'm riding my bike and I'm having a good time. So that would be one thing. I do want to ask you like about the Twitter thing. Do you think it's about coaching or do you think it's about talking about this topic of Twitter? Where do you think that resistance is coming from? Because from this conversation, you strike me as somewhat extroverted, definitely good with people. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you don't like the coaching calls. I think you might be right. It's like the, it's the actually, it's the thing I'm teaching. I love coaching people and I love like helping people out and giving advice, but maybe because it's about like growing on Twitter, it doesn't feel that meaningful to me. So, well, let me ask you. Yeah. Um, is there a way you could frame those calls so that you like it more? Right. And it's still like, it's still helping them because all these like life stuff, you know, are just as important, right? One of my Twitter coaching clients, bro, the first week we talked about scheduling his time, reducing his cheap dopamine, right? Like it was all that stuff. Cause the first call was clarity, you know? And to me, that's more important than any sort of like growth hacky stuff. You know, it's like figuring out a way to like manage your, yourself. Just I think challenge. that's a great perspective. No, I, I think it's a great challenge because that is so true that it is so true. And I guess I maybe have this limiting belief around like, Oh, who am I to like give people life advice? Like I'm 21. And like people always talk about like, Oh, you don't want to be like the 21 year old life coach. Right. And I think that's maybe why it's like, okay, I know how to grow an audience on Twitter. That's why I'm framing it this way, but maybe opening it up to more life advice, philosophical advice might be better for myself and the people who buy it. Absolutely. How do you run the calls? If you don't mind me asking. So usually I just open it up to them and I'm like, you have my attention for an hour. Ask me any question you want. That's great. There's not much structure to it. I think that sounds really good. Like that's what I would do too. Interesting. One thing that that works really well though, is if you get a, a Google form beforehand and send that to them. So then they're coming in prepared and you can basically just like, I can send you my frame, my, um, my form, you know, you can just rip it basically <laughs> because it like, then you're coming in with a lot more context. And it's, it's much easier. Um, and like, I would honestly start with your, I would start by you asking them questions. 
So definitely like give them the chance, maybe be like, what's on your mind, anything like super pressing right now before we dive into your form. And then, you know, just dive into their goals, dive into the roadblocks. I think that will be more fun for you too, because in, because if they, they don't even know, like, I know if I'm thinking about when I was a beginner at Twitter, I would be asking like, how do I write a viral thread as soon as possible? Right. That's not even what they need. Right. Like, so by yeah. structuring it with like a call of Google form beforehand, or you can just put it in the Calendly and then guiding the conversation a tiny bit more, I think it will like make it way more enjoyable for you and more valuable for them. I'm definitely going to look into that. I really appreciate that. And welcome, like man. for you, for you getting into this coaching stuff, like what is the goal with it or what is the next step? Do you plan on keep doing yeah. one-on-one or like cohort or like, what is the next move? Yeah. So my goal, I made, I'm trying to work in 90 day sprints. This is something I learned from Kieran, right? It's just like mm-hmm. to your visions, 90 day sprints. And I basically already shattered my 90 day income goal in the first like two weeks since launching the coaching. So I could get Congrats. greedy. Thank you, man. Yeah. I was surprised, but I could get greedy, but all right, that's not to say I won't sign any new clients. If someone's like, Connor, like, please, I need your help. Like we can talk. It's not a plug, but this is absolutely not a sales pitch, but I'm just talking to you about this. But um, I realized like, okay, let me just sit. And like when, when that happened, when I passed the income goal for the 90 days, it was just like, goes, I was just writing down like, what, what can I do? What can I do? What, how should I be spending my time? I booked a lot of Chinese classes for the next few weeks because I have extra time now. And that's one thing. The other thing is like, I realized, bro, it's product. Like you just said, it's like, okay, no, no. Like, yes, I want to coach. Like I'll probably coach for the rest of my life. Like, even if it's just like with friends that are also doing these type of stuff, you know, it's like mastermind setting the mastermind in Barcelona is fucking awesome. But it's like, what is the long-term play? It's something that's scalable with MRR. Right. And that's not necessarily one-on-one coaching, not necessarily small, like I have an intimate group, right? It's like three people in the ghostwriting cohort. And that's not, I also don't want to scale it, right? So I know I'm not, I know that's not the infinite game. Like I like it, but it's not the infinite game. So I really realized like I need to start building product, whether that's just like an info product, something educational, but I, yeah, I'm kind of rambling now, but like, it was like, it really hit me. It's like, oh, okay, product, like, MRR scalability, like what is that? So that's kind of what I'm like thinking about. I'm, I'm leaning towards paid community, although I'm not exactly sure how, like how, did you see Hamza's paid community, bro? Yes, I've been funnel-hacking oh that guy a little God. bit. <laughs> how, how so? Just like looking at his YouTube videos, like all the books he's read, like I'm on his email list. So I'm like, how is he structuring this? Um, like, how is he trying to get people to sign up? But yeah. He, so he has this new private paid community. That's it's like 500 bucks, right? Yeah. There were like different tiers based on when people sign up, but I know he's making over hundred K a month with it. Holy shit. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. That's insane. But, and dude, like, it's definitely like, I thought about signing up for it. I kind of like him. So. <laughs> no, I do too. A lot. Yeah. So, okay. Potentially a product, potentially a community. What do you think it would be structured around? Like what persuasion. would be the idea? Persuasion. Definitely persuasion. I don't know whether that's wealth or relationships, but like that's that's the thing that I like that, that gives me a lot of energy. And I've definitely spent a ton of time like learning about, right? Okay. I've gotten better outcomes with, right? Like I used to be like literally afraid of girls and my first sales call, I was shaking, right? And now those are two things that are easy for me. All right, that's, that sounds cocky, but like two things that I feel 
comfortable with. Yeah. And I mean, from my perspective, I would be interested in both of those things from you. Like that is such a niche thing because most people just go, most people just go and sell like a writing course or a Twitter growth course or something. And like, those are great, right? Those do provide value. Um, Mm -hmm. but everybody does it and everybody that's grown an audience on Twitter can probably sell that, but that specific knowledge, like that, that is going to separate you from all other courses. And that's something I've been struggling through. Like, okay, if I want to try to build a product or a course, what would I even build it around? And yeah, I'm still working through that and it's still early and I don't want to rush it, but do you have like a timeline on all this? I don't have a timeline, but I do know, like, so there are like steps or like MVPs, you know, if like, if, Jack, if you wanted to get into coaching, like if you're like, you know, I really want to do more coaching, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Just, and then we'll, we'll get back to the product in a second. It'll make sense why I'm, why I'm doing this first. You would launch free calls, which you're already above. You would launch mid-ticket, like low-ticket one-on-one calls, but you would get, you would note like really hard their pain points and their, their goals. You would take note of it and keep it master file of what are the pain points and goals. Then you would do a launch of a official paid call for more money with scarcity and scarcity and urgency. Like in June, I'm taking 15 paid calls, right? This is what I just did. From there, you know, you upsell the best, most promising prospects into some sort of intimate group or one-on-one longer coaching. That's exactly what I did. And it worked, right? That that format, because you know, you're getting the data, talking to people. Like, so anyway, with the product, I'm also thinking, right? The mistake would be I want to build Hamza level Adonis Academy right now. Right. It's like, okay, what's everything that happens before that? I think, I'm not sure, like a very simple ebook or as Dickie and Cole call it, educational email course. I think that would be where I would start with some sort of very clear A to B, right? That's what you're trying to do when you have those one-on-one calls. If you want to really get the most out of those one-on-one calls, it's not about the hundred bucks, right? It's worth more than a hundred bucks to you because you're going to get their painful point A, which is where they are right now and their desirable point B. And then your coaching is the bridge, right? That gets them over the roadblock from A to B. So I think I'm, I'm now hypothesizing, making a hypothesis, right? That I'm talking about from experience with the coaching, but I assume it's similar with a product, right? It's like getting really clear on what is this A and what is this B positioning my product, whether that's like literally just an ebook as, as, as the bridge. So that's, what I'm thinking about now. So I guess I should get clearer on what would be that A and B for like persuasion. Would you agree? I think that sounds like you're like coaching me right now, bro. <laughs> no, we're, we're helping each other. This is really yeah. cool. Um, what was your, what was your A to B for your coaching calls or the coaching thing you just launched right now? So for the ghostwriter specifically, it was like at around like one to two K a month. You don't really have any ghostwriting friends. You're kind of like doing this on your own, which is super painful. I've been there. <laughs> um, you getting like some rewrites from your clients. They're like, I don't like this. Can you change this? You're not like super proud of the engagement that your client's stuff is getting. A couple other things. The B was 5K a month, right? I didn't make a guarantee, but I was like, that's where I want to take you. Because I've done that. I know it's possible, right? I didn't want to be like make 10K in 30 days, right? That's a scam. Yeah. That's just a scam. And so it was like 5K a month, which I truly believe each one of them could do, right? Because there's only three of them and I've highly vetted them. I said, I think you're, this guy is smart with me. So that, you know, a few ghostwriters, right? So I added them to a group chat I have with other ghostwriters. You're welcome to join too, if you want. We talked about it a long time ago. 
I do remember it. Yeah. Yeah. It never came to fruition, but it's fine. Um, like a couple other things, but like, so, and then I like, it was like a layup, you know, I, I like drew that on a whiteboard on the sales call, no pressure. Like, it was just like, yeah, dude, you want to come? And they were like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> so, and then the, for the, for the personal branding, which might be more interesting to you, it's like lack of clarity, point A, lack of clarity, unconfident about writing skills, low engagement, very few friends on Twitter, zero money, right? Then it was like clarity of brand, solid writing skills, consistently better engagement. You have a group of friends, you've made your first digital dollar. That's like the four week plan I'm taking these two people on. We'll see how it goes. But I, I, I think anyone with the right guidance could do that in four weeks. I'm not trying to promise. I them totally that. agree. You know, it's like, yeah. if you just get a very clear A to B and you're like, sure, that's, it's, it's good, man. It's fun. For sure. And where did you learn all these tactics from? A ghostwriting client, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's earned six figures as like with a mastermind. So he, a year. So it was like, he, one time I wrote a post from him and it was like all great. Uh, well, I won't say it exactly, but basically the point was that all great educational products have a clear A to B. Like that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what the landing page is. Nothing matters. It's like getting dead clear on what is the A to B. That to me, like made everything so much easier. It's so simple, but it makes such a difference. It definitely does. And I know you were talking about that with Matt. And so we've been scheming on like, what is it yeah. A to B for our new things? So that's gonna, that's something I'm going to keep in mind, but you hit Hell on yeah. something there with the ghostwriting that I think is even more valuable potentially than the money you make from the ghostwriting is the connections, right? Because you're mm -hmm. literally getting paid to learn from these people who have already done big things. Because if somebody needs a ghostwriter, they've probably done some real stuff in the real world and they can pass that knowledge down to you. So you're almost like getting paid for a mentorship. It's, it's unbelievable. That's, I would say that's the biggest benefit for sure. Like, of course, the cash is great. Like, it's great to make money. Money is, is fuel. But the mentor, like the literally paid mentorship is unreal, unmatched. Yeah. You reminded yeah, me of that. So it's cool. easy to overlook, you know? Like, it's just like, it becomes the new normal. But like, you're, you're right. Like, I, I'm grateful for that. Totally. I, I totally agree. Um, one topic I wanted to bring up that I was, I was looking through your Twitter. And you said you struggled with social anxiety at one point, And you decided to do stand-up comedy. So like, where did that idea come from? To do stand-up comedy? Yeah. Yeah. It's so like when I was, I was just bringing it back a tiny bit. Like when I was like in middle school, I felt confident, whatever. But then one time I went to the beach with this Latino guy and this Italian guy and I got super red summer. Maybe you can see my cheeks are still like kind of pink a little bit. And then I got acne like that same year. So I went from like being kind of confident to being super unconfident, super, yeah, like, I always, after that, for a long time, I struggled with, with my self-esteem. This was really, it was very painful, but I was, I was very lucky to have this friend Rory in high school. And, and like, he always kind of brought me around and, and just watching him really helped with breaking out of that. But anyway, around that time, like around college, I also went to college with Rory too, which was super fun. He kind of, I kind of realized like, shit, like, almost everything I'm afraid of is like what I want. So it's like, I'm just going to do everything I'm afraid of. And then when I started doing that, there was this one um, girl who's like two years older than me. 
And I never assumed that she would be interested with me. And so then I just like tried and we had this, this really fun time, this really fun night, like riding bikes to the beach late in my, in my hometown. It's like maybe too personal of a story, but just like after it happened, I was just like, wow, like that was wild. And it was like, it only happened because I took action, you know, and just like realizing that, like, I didn't frame this well, but just the, the things I'm afraid of doing them instead of not doing them, like changed everything. So then when I realized I was afraid to do stand-up comedy and the opportunity presented itself, I said, okay, I have to do stand-up comedy. And it wasn't even that good, but like, yeah, that was it. I did a bad job of explaining that, but like, that was a big idea. I love that point of like, Derek Sivers talks about it too. He's like, whatever scares you, go do it, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> on the other side of that anxiety lies an opportunity that you never would have experienced. And mm. I, I really admire the fact that you're able to like go out there and do stand-up comedy because that is like the most vulnerable thing I could think of. Um, what was it like going up there on stage for the first time? Brutal. <laughs> Like I had to throw up afterwards and I just like stuffed my face with Indian food, like to stop myself from <laughs> needing to, needing to throw up. But um, yeah, brutal. Like I was really scared and like not all my jokes landed. I also pushed the envelope a little bit. Like my girlfriend's from Turkey and I told, which is a Muslim country. And I told a story about when I met her Muslim father, which was a true story. But like, the, I don't know if the Germans knew that I was like being serious. So I think they thought I was like making fun of, yeah, like, a couple of them like didn't land and I, it was very, very scary, you know, cause like, think about that, what that is like, like to stand in front of the tribe and like have them be like, it's scary, man. But overall it went okay. And like a few people out there were like, it was really good, man. But like, you know, it was, it was good, man. I recommend it, especially like, you know, one of the benefits of leaving home is you, you get to try it, right? You get to, there's less resistance. I don't know if you've read Epictetus at all, but like there was one passage that really stuck out with me. It's like, it's like, that's why they say it's easier for philosophers to leave their home country because they'll be like, Oh, look at, look at Jack trying to become a philosopher. Look at Jack thinking he's too cool for school. Look at Jack thinking he's, he's too good for the corporate life. What does he think he knows? Right. That's, that's the, the, the drawback of staying at home, but now you're in Buenos Aires who gives a shit, you know, it's like, I'm just Jack in Buenos Aires. It's like so different. Yeah, it's so freeing once you kind of shed those old identities. And that's the thing I think about leaving home. It's not necessarily like, oh, I have to leave to like get away from all these people. But in a way, it's like, okay, Alex Hormozzi puts this really well. It's like as an entrepreneur or somebody who's trying to change who they are as a person fundamentally you're going to change every six to 12 months, even more quickly if you're doing new things and putting yourself in new situations. And so the problem with staying in the same spot is people know you since you were like eight years old, right? And they know you since high school and they know who you were in high school. And so all my high school friends, for example, know me as football player, Jack, quarterback, Jack, right? Like party Jack, uh, right? You were quarterback? Yeah, I was. So That's it's sweet, man. totally a different perception of who I am now. And I'm super grateful for those points in my life. But at the same time, people treat you in that same way that you used to be, right? They assign old identities over you that you used to be. And now when you're trying to break into new identities, it's uncomfortable. It's like, wait, who even are you, right? And it's just this, it's this dissonance between who you were and who you're becoming. And I think as an entrepreneur, 
you have to become more than you currently are in order to grow or else you're never going to grow as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you, you can have empathy for those people, like understand why that's so uncomfortable, right? It's like, puts up a mirror. It's like, oh wait, Jack's different. Why is Jack different? Am I, is there something wrong with me? Like I, you, you see this, you can, you can kind of see why people get defensive when that happens. Um, so like, I learned to like, not be upset about it anymore. It's just like, yeah, but it, it definitely is the case. You know, when you change, you change. And like, it doesn't mean that everyone else had to change too. And yeah, it's like getting comfortable with shedding that, like a snake skin sort of, you know, totally. next chapter. And so how do you deal with managing old relationships with friends, family, as you've kind of evolved and gone on your own journey now? Yeah, I'm pretty lucky to have like parents who support me. They definitely keep still try- trying to get me to get a job, but <laughs> with- <laughs> But they just want my security, right? So I have, I don't mind, like, it's fine. It's just, yeah, um, try to make harmony there, right? Your parents are your parents. So that's, that's one thing. But with the friend aspect, that's, that's another question. Um, you know, there are very few people I keep in touch with from high school, from college. There are people that if I saw from college, I'd be very happy to see them. You know, it's like, like, I'm, it'd be a pleasure, right? I have great memories. It just, um, I just think the wrong thing is to change yourself for other people, you know, or like the worst, the biggest, the biggest um, shame, let's say like the most like loss is holding yourself back at the sake of trying to make other people feel okay about themselves, you know, because like when I stopped drinking, my friends were like, I was in a fraternity and, uh, I wanted to stop drinking, right? I have alcoholism in my family, both sides of the family, right? German, Irish. And I, it was very clear to me that this is going in a bad direction. I really don't want this to be my life. And I knew where that leads to, right? I had witnessed it as a child. I knew exactly where I was going. And a lot of my friends, like they really, really didn't want to accept it. It's like, oh, come on, Woody. Like that was my name at college, Woody, <laughs> not Connor. And uh, <laughs> like, oh, you don't drink anymore. You're so smart. And it's just like, what I did was, right? Don't be uh, a disruptor. That's what Peter Thiel says in, in Zero to One. It's like PayPal was successful, not because it disrupted the finance industry, but they, they innovated, right? And they still made the credit card companies money. If they had like, the credit card companies would have jumped up on them. So I stopped telling people I wasn't drinking. And I just started filling my cup up with water or, or seltzer and it went away. Right. And I still dude, that was great. I learned how to dance without drinking. That is dude, 99% of men cannot do that. 99% of men are not comfortable to move their hips without downing ethanol poison. <laughs> so there's a lot of value in just doing your own thing. Yeah. That's so cool, dude. That is so cool. I've, I've gone through a similar stage. I'm not completely not drinking. Like I will Same. once in a while, sure. but you know, maybe like a glass of wine. I had a glass of wine, uh, what a Saturday night. I just went to a cafe by myself, sat out there, smoked a cigarette, had a glass of wine and, <laughs> and uh, read man's search for meaning. <laughs> um, so, just- but yeah, dude, sometimes like that's okay. Sometimes like relaxing and taking a chill is good. But I think the point about like developing confidence in social situations without the alcohol, it'll do so much for your personal growth. And so- 
I love the point about not having to tell people you're not drinking. Cause if you're, t- if you have to tell people you're not drinking, then it just becomes like a virtue signal. It becomes, Oh, I'm better than you. Cause I'm not drinking. No, not necessarily true. But if you can go to the social setting and dance and have a good time and interact with people and just have a cup, like I'll, I'll do like Coke zero. So then people think I'm like good. drinking like Jack yeah. and Coke or something, but yeah. I'm really just drink. I'm just drinking soda, but because they don't know then it makes it better. But Sometimes it's like people can judge you a little bit. Like if you order water or something, they're going to be like, oh, like why are you ordering water? And it's just weird at first. But if I think if you make it so that it's not weird to you that they're drinking and you're drinking water, like they will also be okay with it. But if you try to judge them for it, then that's where the problem comes in. And alcohol is like, there are genetic components to how alcohol affects you, right? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends can drink more than me, right? Like I cannot drink well, that will never. And my mom tried to tell me this when I was like 14, I just didn't want to listen. I was like, fuck this. Like, no, like I really was like, that's no, I wouldn't accept it. But now I, I look back and I was like, she was so right. Alcohol does Mm -hmm. not impact me the same as it does. The other kids doesn't change. Like just because the other kids can do that well, like, yeah, it's like, comes back to self-awareness, you know? I just lacked self-awareness for so many years. And it was just, I was like the same time, like not wearing sunscreen because the other kids didn't wear sunscreen. You know, it's the same exact in German. There's a great word, German word, man. I love this word. I'm going to teach you it because it's, it's great. It's called Denkfehler. Denkfehler. Yeah. It means thought mistake. Denkfehler. I just, so that, that's a wow. Denkfehler. You know, it's a thought mistake, not wearing the sunscreen, thinking I can drink as much as the other kids who doesn't, who don't have alcoholism in their genes. Um, I don't know, but I never really thought put that made that bridge. So I appreciate you bringing these two topics up. (laughs) Dude, I love the fact that you're able to use German to better understand reality, like right there. Because (laughs) that, like, what can you repeat? Repeat the meaning again. It was Denk. Denken is to think. Denken. It's similar, right? So denk and fela. Fela is mistake. Denk fela. Thought mistake. It sums up like false beliefs so succinctly, right? In like True. one little phrase. And there's nothing like that in English. And I think that's, now I'm realizing like, okay, understanding different languages will help you understand yourself and your place in the, in, in the world so much better. So cool. Tim Ferriss talks about that a lot too. So I got to take your guys' advice on this stuff. Send it, man. If you want, I'm dead serious. You can call me. We can talk about Spanish. I'll set you up, get you a checklist, do just checklist, right? Systems work better than goals. Just a daily checklist, what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it. Yeah. Three months. Boom. Like that's it. Dude. Yeah. Let's definitely, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. Um, Hell yeah. But bef- before we hop off, because this has been, I think probably a bit, bit over an hour now, but um, you seem like a very organized, systematized guy. You've got classes, wow. you've got a girlfriend, you've got a coaching business. You're also writing on Twitter newsletter. It seems like a lot, right? You're reading a lot too. It seems like, like, how are you making time for all this? So what is like, what's a daily routine looking like for you right now? I'll just show you something that might, because I'm actually not an organized guy, right? That's one of my weaknesses that's come up time and again, but I got this thing this year and every, every Sunday, dude, I plan like crazy. And I have one top goal. Oh, nice, dude. I got one top goal. You got one too. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, we're crazy nerds on money Twitter. This is so funny. 
yeah so this is this is like the only way like uh the other thing is like i got really good at avoiding my phone in the morning wait so can you repeat the question exactly make sure i'm answering it well yeah i just ask like what's a daily routine for you now and I, I love going into the nuances of like avoiding your phone and stuff because that stuff is all so important for me too so i'll break down a day where like an ideal day where i don't have class because it's a little bit different okay. if i have class at school but i like teaching at school too but like um no the internet's way better though because you can teach whatever you want <laughs> you can teach more interesting stuff but so if i like let's say like ideally wake up at six and this is going to sound like super try hard super nerdy but this is my morning routine I, I brush my teeth then i drink warm water with ginger um the reason i drink warm water is because i learned this from the chinese the chinese treat hot water i don't like hot water if like it's too hot it's annoying it's like warm um as like a heal all is really true, man. It really, really improves my digestion throughout the day. If I drink hot okay. water in the morning, so I drink hot water, then I stretch, then I meditate. I practice TM just because you too, or what is TM? Uh, transcendental meditation. Explain, go into that. It's just simple. Like it's, it's like Vipassana with a mantra. Like instead of, instead of focusing on your breath, you focus on a mantra, but it's like, it does, it's just, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like whatever meditation works for you. Right. So, yeah. but I learned this, um, during college. And so I kept doing it and I like it. It's fine. Then I'll read for like a half hour. Then I go to espresso house. So something espresso house is sick. All right, it's not that good, but it's a Swedish Starbucks and they have a 15 euro a month black coffee deal. You pay 15 euros black coffee every two hours. It's incredible. Dude, that Incredible. sounds like heaven. Yeah. Heaven. <laughs> so uh, I go there usually get my first work done. Like uh, there are like big three, there are three big repetitive tasks I have ideation, writing, and editing. Right. And I, I do those on different days. So depending on the day, like that would be something I do, or I plan something for my coaching clients or if something now I'm going to try to spend more time on like product during that time. Then I would have lunch, uh, then go to the gym. Then like from like six to eight is when I have sales calls and like uh catch-up calls like whatever so that's like a, a day like an ideal day yeah and Simple. You, one thing about that though it's like uh oh and i'd walk before i go to espresso house if i don't have school and one thing though dude is like uh i don't have a car i haven't had a car for years since i've been in germany i have a bicycle it's fucking sick like yeah. i just ride a bike dude so every commute is exercise and enjoyable and wind in my face like i cannot tell you how much better my quality of life is because i don't have to drive a car everywhere dude i'm the same way i was so attached to my car especially in high school and i i do love driving but like, I think the belief that you can live without a car for a lot of people that grew up in like suburban America, did you, did you grow up in the suburbs? I did. Yeah. And the car, yeah, I get, I know exactly what you're talking about right now. Like I, the car I, is I, a staple of life. You can't survive without the car. Right. But when you live in these new places, like in Germany or like places that have inf infrastructure that was made to walk and bike, <laughs> like it is so cool. Like I walk everywhere here in Buenos Aires. I get like 15 K steps a day. I'm getting sunlight. And it's like, exactly. I feel like my quality of life is so much higher. I can listen to podcasts all the time while I walk. Like it's, it's phenomenal. Exactly, dude. Um, yeah. It's just, it's like, maybe we'll end with this. Like it's, it's 80, 20 again, you know, it's like 
environmental design in like Americans are always talking about like, Oh, I got to get my steps like, Oh, and like, you know, I got to get my steps in Europeans just get steps. You know, it's like, yes. of course there's exceptions, but like the, it's like the, the glass that the water in is way more important than like how much water is in the glass. I don't know if this, that's a bad metaphor, but like something I know like what you mean. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And, and I, I visited Europe this summer and my observation was like, okay, I'm in Italy. All people are eating is pizza and pasta and drinking at damn near every day. And everybody's skinny. Like, how is it possible? But it's like that lifestyle design setup, right? Everybody walks everywhere. You don't have to like set time to like, oh, I'm going to go get my 10,000 steps. It just happens. Yeah. It's a byproduct of your environment. Yeah. So I think that's probably if like the biggest lever for Americans, if we could figure out like some better ways of organizing our living spaces. Uh, yes, I think that would, I com- completely I like agree. I want to ask you one more question, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, go for it. So you lived in the suburbs, went to college. Now you're, now you're in uh, Buenos Aires. Like, what are your thoughts on like places to live or what? I know it, it's a terrible question, but like, what are you thinking like for the future for you? Cause now you've created an income online. I'm curious what are you leaning towards next year, next two years? Yeah. So I'm planning on being here for about the next two months and I like it here. Um, there's a lot of great aspects. It's very convenient. The cost of living is great. The weather is yeah. really great, but it's a bit too big of a city for me. I think, I think I'm more of a small type of city, more nature type of guy. Um, and I'm just realizing that recently, but I love being able to disconnect from technology and get into nature and immerse myself in it because, and Matt and I have been talking a lot about this, like scheming our next move. And we're thinking a couple places, potentially Bali is on the short list for sure. Um, But that's so overcrowded now and like costs are rising. So that might not be the move, but one place we're looking into is Madeira. Um, it's an island off the coast of Africa, but it's like a Portuguese island. And it's a bit smaller, more intimate, cheap cost of living, um, good nomad community, which would be cool. And like yeah. a couple of things that I'm missing here are like that small community of people who you can really interact with because this city is huge, right? And to go even get into nature is pretty tough. And we're on computers all day doing online business. And then we go out and it's like concrete and like buildings and everything. Right. And I'd love to be able to get into nature more, but yeah, I'm going to throw it right back at you. Like what, what are you thinking for the next, next couple moves? Are you going to stay put in Germany? Yeah. So my, my visa slash scholarship is coming to an end in uh, July 1st, probably going to spend the summer on Long Island at my parents' house, you know, still do everything, but it's, quite hard for me to be productive there so yeah. by september i'll be thinking about where to move again but um depends man you know it's hard it's hard exactly to say but i would say a big priority for me is like you said like community it's it's like that one weekend with the barcelona boys dude, crazy and like all the success i had from coaching is direct consequence of the conversations we had there i wasn't even thinking yeah. of offering high ticket coaching until we were like they were, they like annihilated my false beliefs in like two hours, which would have taken me six months to figure out myself. Mm -hmm. Such an advantage to living with people or being around people doing the same stuff as you such an advantage. Like, so I was in college just like 
a month and a half, two months ago. And like, <laughs> really, really smart people. Like these people are fucking way smarter than I am. However, we're just playing different games. They're all playing the like startup game, the investment banker game, et cetera. And I'm trying to play this money Twitter online game. And like, I can't really relate to them about it. Right. So the conversations are never around it. But now that like I'm here with Matt and like it's pretty much just us and we're in the same situation, very similar point. All we talk about is this and the growth I've experienced in this month has just been unbelievable. And now I can't see myself ever turning back. From living with people on a similar mission. Exactly. Or around. Yeah, dude, I like it. I like that, man. Sounds good. Yeah, bro. Well, dude, this was such a fun conversation. We're going to have to like definitely revisit this maybe in like a year every year or something to see where we're both at this will be sweet i'd love to man i had a great time thank you thank you for doing this hell yeah thank you for coming on anytime